0: What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, simply the best podcast out there. Now let's kick this thing off. Dylan LeClaire is the Senior Market Analyst at UTXO Management. He also writes a newsletter with Bitcoin Magazine. In this conversation, we talk about Bitcoin, on-chain metrics. We talk about Bitcoin's price, the market structure, and what to expect in the coming weeks. I really enjoyed this conversation with Dylan, and I hope you do as well. Before we get into this episode, though, I want to quickly talk about our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by FTX US. FTX.US is the safe, regulated way to buy and sell Bitcoin and other digital assets. You can trade crypto with up to 85% lower fees than top competitors. There are no fixed minimum fees, no ACH transaction fees, and no withdrawal fees either. FTX.US is also the only leading exchange that supports both Ethereum and Solana NFTs. Download the FTX app today and use referral code POMP to earn these free crypto on every trade over $10. The more you trade, the more you earn. Go download the FTX app today and use referral code POMP. This episode is brought to you by BCB Group. With a dedicated focus on institutional payment services, BCB Group provides business banking, cryptocurrency, and foreign exchange market liquidity for many of the world's largest crypto-engaged financial institutions. BCB business accounts allow businesses to load fiat currency and cryptocurrencies for payments, operations, and trading purposes. BCB's clients can trade FX and cryptocurrencies quickly and at scale with market-leading value bcb's blink network is the european crypto industry's first instant settlements network and one of the first real-time payment networks of its kind to allow free real-time transactions across fiat and digital currencies bcb's vision is to empower the global financial revolution through sustainable and innovative banking you can find out more by visiting bcbgroup.com slash pomp today again if you want to learn more go to bcbgroup.com slash pomp today This episode is brought to you by CoinChange. CoinChange is an automated wealth management platform that earns daily compounded yield for you. They've got sophisticated algorithms that automatically analyze and allocate liquidity to more than 25 DeFi protocols, where you can earn very high rates of return on a risk mitigated basis when you hold your crypto. Earn while you sleep, exercise or listen to this podcast. Your payout doesn't depend on the volatility of the market and there are no lockups or minimums. They don't lend trade or rehypothecate your assets. This means that by becoming a CoinChange client, you start earning yield from day one and you can withdraw your funds at any time. Register now at CoinChange.io slash POMP and get a welcome bonus of 40 USDC when you fund your account. Again, CoinChange.io slash POMP. Don't just hold your crypto assets, but earn smart DeFi yield with CoinChange. Anthony Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of him and the guests on his podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, we've got uh, we got Dylan joining us now. Dylan, what's going on, man? What's up, Pop? How we doing? I'm doing fantastic. There's a lot to talk about. I, I feel like uh, uh, we could sit here and talk for uh, for maybe days at this point to understand what's going on in the market. Let's start with miners. I saw uh, that miners are now starting to put out their June reports and a couple of miners have reported that they've sold not just a little bit of the Bitcoin on their balance sheet, but quite a bit. Explain what's going on here and why exactly are they doing this?
1: Yeah. So for regular listeners of the show, um, you know, people that have subscribed to some of my work, uh, whether it's on Twitter or just um, what we cover at Bitcoin Magazine Pro, we've talked about the, the cyclicality of the, of the Bitcoin mining uh, industry uh, and these kind of hash price bull and bear cycles. So you can think of hash price it's minor revenue divided by hash rate. So when price, a good kind of basic gauge uh, or, or kind of a mental framework to operate on is when price is increasing faster than hash rate. Miners, their valuations, their margins are all increasing. Uh, and when hash rate is, is increasing faster than price or price is just decreasing and hash rate steady uh, or hash rate, you know, the pain trade is hash rates increasing, price is decreasing. These minor margins really, really get squeezed uh, and the ASIC values, and, and it leads to some of this kind of forced selling. And we see it every single cycle. And this cycle, I think, it was even exacerbated by the fact that we have these new kind of public markets uh, and, and the financing around, uh, around that. So these miners like HUD-8, uh, a lot of these publicly traded firms, we have a, a graphic up here. Uh, this is the, the performance of all these publicly traded miners since the all-time high of Bitcoin. And they've all underperformed Bitcoin itself. Uh, and there's a reason for that. Post China miner ban, uh, a bunch of hash rate got wiped out. A lot of these companies scooped up a ton of rigs, uh, and they they did it with financing, did it with leverage. So now that the price of Bitcoin has gone down, hash rate has has subsequently recovered, meaning that the difficulty has adjusted upwards. For anyone that's kind of uh, not familiar with the term difficulty, Bitcoin mining has this kind of uh, it's like this oscillator. And if more and more people are mining Bitcoin, more and more operations are turning on. It gets harder and harder to mine a block of Bitcoin. So, you know, The other way is that if, if hash rate is going down, difficulty adjusts downwards to kind of ease up a little bit. And so since you know, all that difficulty has, has just continued to ratchet up, it's getting harder and harder to mine Bitcoin, more, more costly rather, uh, at the same time the price is falling. So you're seeing a lot of these operations start to puke up and, and cover their, their loans. Uh, and that's leading to just kind of cratering valuations and, and
0: uh, you know, equity market performance. So when you see this happening, is this something that we'll understand when it's over? And like, we'll be like, okay, like that's probably, they've sold everything that they're going to sell. Is there like a percentage of their balance sheet? Um, Is there some way to evaluate it in real time? And the thought process being with liquidations, we know of some because of on-chain analytics or, or we're able to understand, you know, from past maybe company announcements hey, what is the general price point at which some of these liquidations will happen? And also what is the size of it? Now we don't understand all of them, but these are publicly traded companies. And so how do you evaluate like how much Bitcoin is there available for them to sell? Uh, and how do you know when they're kind of done selling or is it just all after the fact we'll be able to understand that?
1: Yeah, so there is some, some pretty good data out there about um, kind of approximate break even levels. Um, a lot of these, these, these publicly traded miners have, they still have breakeven prices below 10,000. Um, but that, those numbers actually ratchet up as hash rate continues to ratchet up um, and difficulty continues to increase. Um, so my kind of base case is that we see a new all-time low in hash price, right? So that that minor uh, revenue divided by hash rate. Uh, and and basically the, the all-time history, of the you know, the trend in Bitcoin is hash price is going lower forever, essentially. And what you see are during these bull markets, there's these kind of these gold rush periods where price dramatically out, outperforms hash rate and it's just it's so hard to actually source and um, kind of uh, engineer these new ASIC machines and, and get them out and get them plugged in. The infrastructure takes a lot of time. So there is a lag between kind of that bull market, that golden period of profitability and you know, where these miners really get squeezed. We've seen it cycle after cycle. And I think what you're really, you know, what to look for is you can monitor the hash rate, you can monitor the, the kind of the moving averages or the rate of change of that hash rate. When you see a lot of that's really start to fall off you, that basically means that a lot of these, a lot of these miners, these operations are are seeing kind of immense pressure. But the beauty of Bitcoin is these machines don't just turn off forever. They're sold. They're liquidated. The, the inefficient miners have to sell their holdings. And what happens? Someone else with a cheaper power source, cheaper energy, and, and you know, uh, better, more well capitalized, they scoop up the miners. They plug them in, and they continue to hash. And and they also get the the benefit of difficulty ratcheting down, right? So. Uh, I think there is still uh, you know, a period ahead of us where these miners are really going to get squeezed. They're going to have to be selling a majority of their stack. There's no longer a period where minor margins, uh, you know, their, their profit margins were 80, 90% in the bull market. Uh, and because of that, they had just absolutely tremendously outrageous valuations. Uh, that period is over. Uh, and it's kind of really just every man for themselves at this point. Um, some publicly traded miners, I believe, probably won't make it to the other side or, or they'll be acquired. Uh, And some will continue to thrive, they'll continue to build, and they'll, you know, they'll be tremendous performers uh, during the next bull cycle. Uh, But I think, you know, that takes
0: time. When you take a look at uh, something like hash price, explain what hash price is to everyone. And then we can pull up this hash price percent from cycle low and you can explain what this is showing us.
1: Yeah, so hash price, it's minor revenue, daily minor revenue. So we can see, you know, around approximately 900 Bitcoin per day uh, are mined. Um, and then we can just multiply that out by the, the current price, and then divided by uh, just uh, average uh, hash rate. So uh, using a daily hash rate isn't really useful because it's so, there's so much variance. But just say you know take a seven day moving average of hash rate. Uh, it's it's a pretty it's a pretty reliable indicator of where the you know wh- what that rate is. And because of that, we can come up with this hash price, uh, this this kind of calculation. And it's a rough estimate, and obviously every miner is different. But this is basically kind of showing you. Uh, minor profitability. And this is in logarithmic scale. So uh, if you want to zoom in on that chart a little bit, uh, hash price is basically going down (laughs) forever in a tremendous fashion. It's almost like the opposite or inverse of a Bitcoin chart as hash hash rate continues to just increase and that block subsidy continues to get cut, right? First, there was 50 Bitcoin mined every block, then 25, then 12 and a half. In May of 2020, that went to 6.25. Somewhere in 2024, that'll go to 3.125. Um, and obviously there's, you know, variable uh, amount of fees that are being paid uh, to compensate miners as well. But we can see here that these bull markets, right. If we look at the hash price cha- uh, kind of uh, increase from its all time low during bull markets, this is kind of that, that gold rush visualized, right? So any miners, any capitalized miners that make it through the bear, they rough it out. They're barely profitable. They squeak by, but they're still, they're still hashing during that next bull cycle. That's where they kind of, you know, that's where you reap the rewards. And so now we're, we're kind of in one of those periods where hash price is is just flirting with an all-time low. It's all-time lows around 7 cents per terahash. Right now it's about uh, 8.6 uh, cents per tera, per terahash. So we're going to see another low. Uh, it's going to get even kind of squeezier for these miners and their margins uh, and and the strong will survive but the weak, you know, probably get wiped.
0: When you look at something like the U.S. dollar, uh, which obviously is a part of some of these price movements and, and equations, the U.S. dollar continues to go higher and higher. It's at a 20-year high now. Um, what, what is happening? Is it just that the dollar strengthened strengthening against uh, other fiat currencies on a relative basis, or is there something else driving a lot of this?
1: Yeah, it's, it's somewhat paradoxical, right? Because you're feeling all this inflation. You know, It's like the dollar, the purchasing power of the dollar is less and less, but how is the dollar at, at you know 20 year highs and what's happening is it's kind of this max pain scenario of super high consumer price inflation um kind of due due to a shortage of, of commodities obviously the rush ukraine conflict a bunch of different variables uh and and a lot of it, it has to do with energy right um at the same time the fed is coming in and saying hey we need to tighten to stamp down this inflation uh, but they may not have the right tools because it's more of a supply shortage uh um, that's causing the inflation but uh, because of the dollar, because of the the, the USD as the world reserve currency, uh, and because there 's so much dollar denominated debt out there, what we 're seeing is just this this huge move higher in the dollar against other fiats so uh, the ecb they 're having to support the weaker countries in the European Union um, by, by uh, stamping down spreads in, in the bond markets. The Bank of japan is is embarking on yield curve control like these are the I believe the second and third biggest currencies in the world, and they 're still easing and the dollar the Fed is tightening. So you're seeing the, the Dixie, the dollar currency index, screaming to new highs. And on a shorter term time frame, you can see Bitcoin, the Nasdaq uh, risk assets, they trade almost, you know, tick for tick with dollar strength um, and actually are inversely correlated. Um, and so this is this is kind of a barometer of just how risk off everything is. And, um, you know, that probably ends with the with the dollar a lot higher uh, than it is before the Fed has to come in and, and really kind of bail out the world, um, which is which is kind of what's happened with every recession over the last two decades or so.
0: When we zoom out a little bit more, uh, the next chart we have here is the uh, US dollar index, but it goes all the way back to early or late 90s. And you can see that, uh, again, since the early 2000s, we haven't seen these levels. Is it something that we can take as a lesson from the late 90s uh, to today with the dollar currency index?
1: Yeah, I just wanted to kind of give a more zoomed out view. Um, obviously, you know, 21, 2021 to 2022, uh, it's, a, it's a rapid move up, but we're seeing on a, on a long-term time frame the same kind of thing happen. Uh, it's higher than it was during the great financial crisis. Uh, and it's approaching kind of uh, that, the top that it reached just before the, the dot-com bubble uh, and, and all of that pain as the dollar kind of soared higher as, as risk was also selling off. And so, you know, no like TA here, I think is really all that useful, but just understanding that the big picture and that the dollar uh, is this kind of like Brent Johnson refers to it as this global wrecking ball for, for risk assets. And the higher this goes, the more that the global economy just gets kind of thrown into a recession uh, and the more that risk assets crash in price. Uh, and, and ultimately it leads to kind of a credit contagion event. It's, it's essentially a short squeeze is occurring on the dollar and the short position that everyone has is dollar denominated debt. So what do they do? They liquidate their assets to pay the debts. And that's why risk assets fall in tandem with the dollar going higher. Um, and so this is kind of big, big picture. Uh, but but really, it's you know the end game is, is somewhat binary in the sense that all of this debt can't be serviced uh, without perpetual monetary easing. It sounds it sounds very oversimplistic, but that's kind of the game we're in. And so Fed tighten, Fed loosen. Uh, they they really don't have a choice over the long term. Uh, the entire monetary system uh, around the globe is is basically necess- necessitant on on perpetual credit expansion. Uh, but we're just kind of in one of those deflationary periods of credit contraction where, where, you know, everybody's kind of scrambling for a
0: chair. And so this leads us to, uh, kind of these triple B credit spreads obviously are increasing, which I know you've been spending a bunch of time taking a look at what, what do you expect to happen next? Like what turns this over? Is it just going to continue to increase higher and higher over time? Uh, until there's something that breaks until the fed pivots, like what pulls this back down?
1: Yeah, so I mean, I'm not a I'm not a corporate bond expert by any means, um, and and not really diving into the specifics of of what companies need to refinance, but really, uh, you know, U.S. equities have been the best performing uh, equity market since the Great Financial Crisis, and it hasn't really been close. Uh, and it's been a lot a lot of it has had to do with the cheap capital that was available, and and these corporations levering up and buying back their stock, uh, and you know that was a huge huge driver, right? So you're seeing triple uh, B credit spreads. There's a you know trillions of dollars of of triple B uh, debt, corporate debt out there. Uh, this is the, the corporate credit spread is essentially uh, the the yield on top of the treasury market. It's kind of like a, a risk barometer, a risk gauge. And so when these when credit spreads bl- blow out, it means that you know there's there's some trouble in the bond market. And so I think honestly, the Fed is is purposefully embarking on this. They're they they want risk to sell off. They want inflation to come down, and they're doing that by de- by destroying demand. And they're doing that by, by crashing asset prices. It's somewhat crazy that we're, we're living through this. But, but ultimately, I think this goes a lot higher. Uh, and we're seeing, you know, whether it's, I don't think it's the banks or subprime this cycle. And I don't really think anyone knows what the, you know, kind of canary in the coal mine might be. It might even be somewhere, you know, in the crypto contagion that kind of breaks this, this wealth effect. It's certainly, you know, a $3 trillion to, or under a trillion dollars today is, is, is meaningful. Uh, but I think ultimately we're going to see credit spreads, uh, continue to soar higher volatility in the bond market and equity markets uh, and until that demand destruction really comes in. And I think the Fed is, is going to have to respond in a powerful way because there's, there's really no way this, this train crashes in a soft landing type of way.
0: When you see uh, the euro dollar futures, the Fed funds rate implied for December 2022 uh, starting to come down um, and you've got the difference between December 2022 and December 2023 also dropping. What What is this telling us?
1: Yeah, so euro dollar futures, um, it it's not, uh, has nothing to do with the euro. It's it's more so uh, euro dollars originated because it was uh, time deposits offshore. So not U.S. banks, not domestic uh, U.S. banks, but actually European banks that had uh, dollar deposits. So this euro dollar futures market essentially arose as as kind of a a Fed funds rate futures market. So this is a a CME product, it's it's onshore, but it's really just a Fed funds futures market. That's that's what Euro dollars stand for. And so we can see, uh, you know, there's live traded and there's there's real big time liquidity here. You know, some of the biggest funds and risk managers in the world are hedging their their interest rate bets, hedging uh, on the Euro dollar futures market. Uh, We can kind of get an implied uh, Fed funds rate for, for future dates. So the uh, December 2022 is at uh, 360 bips, 3.6%. That's down from the high of around 4.14%. Uh, 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 so it's it's calmed down almost 45 bips. But the real key, and I think the most interesting thing about this, is if you monitor the difference between the, the December 2023 and the December 2022 Fed funds rate, that implied rate. Uh, and for all of 2021, for all of 2022, up until uh, you know, I think the middle of June, we saw it was a positive spread. So the market's expectations, again, like the, one of the bigger markets in the world for hedging interest rate bets, or just speculating in general, uh, expected that the Fed funds rate would be much higher in 2023 than it was in 2022 at the end of the year. Now, that's fallen dramatically and is now 74 bips lower in, in the, at the end of 2023. So this is, you know, everybody's saying when Fed pivot, when Fed pivot, uh, not calling it, and, not, and certainly this could reverse, but this is the market, the lower that the equity markets go, the higher that the dollar goes, the more that you see kind of trouble in, in emerging markets around the globe. And the more that you see, you know, kind of currencies crashing against the dollar, I think there's going to be more and more pressure on the Fed to ease up a little bit. And hey, you know, tightening, tightening to 400 BIPs in the Fed funds rate is going to cause a whole lot of trouble. And I think the market's just starting to realize that. Uh, and, I, you know, this will be one of the things that I monitor in the
0: future. When you start to think about how this affects uh, kind of the Bitcoin and crypto market, uh, there's obviously a macro impact for sure, uh, but there's also some things around uh, the nuances of the industry itself. Uh, we've seen contagion uh, throughout the market. We've seen asset prices crashing. We've seen a ton of uh, kind of chain reactions. What's your general feel for where we are right now? should we still be worried about some of this contagion? Should we be worried about future failures of businesses or of assets? Uh, is there a little bit of a lull and, and relief and everyone can kind of take a deep breath, uh, which may be in contrast to what happened over the last three or four weeks. Like, how are you feeling about it? And what are you thinking at the moment?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, certainly we've seen a lot of pain. Uh, it's There's been almost no relief for the longest time, just, just consolidation and straight down. Um, and actually... One of the more kind of worrying things from just analyzing trends is that you know nasdaq s and p 500 bitcoin correlations have been very positive for all of 2022 uh, to the downside and upside and, re- and in recent weeks we've seen that correlation that beta uh, really intensify on downside moves and in upside moves bitcoin is just just kind of you know laid flat it hasn't really responded too well i think uh, because of all of the kind of contagion because of all of the risk off because of all of the the off-balance sheet debt that no one really knew existed. You're seeing a lot of risk managers from the legacy world that, you know, even if they think, hey, this is this is really really cheap, Bitcoin is here to stay. You know, they're getting a tap on their shoulder from their risk managers, from their senior guys at, at the funds they work at. They're saying, hey, we can't touch this right now. The market's very very liquid. It's, it's moving up five or you know five percent or down five percent just on you know a five hundred million dollars in the futures market. It's it's too liquid for us to take a take a sizable position here, and we need to cut risk in general. So I think that's one. Uh, the second is that you know miners are going to continue to face some pressure. There will be kind of an, uh, a, a full style capitulation and transfer of of coins and ASICs from from weak to strong hands. That's in the process of occurring. It's obviously it's obviously started today with, say, a core scientific selling eighty six percent of their Bitcoin holdings over the course of June. And I think the next is that you know there's a big lesson here in the in the crypto world broadly. Uh, and one, not your keys, not your coins. That's been repeated ad nauseum. And I think a bunch of people understand that. But two is I think some of the marketing um, from, from these lending and, and yield uh, desks and companies around the space uh, in terms of like advertising it as a savings account, when really, uh, you know, they were taking deposits, rehypothecating uh, and and chasing yield through kind of various ARP strategies, various uh, funds, uh, you know, giving their funds to hedge funds and et cetera. I think that. Uh, in, in terms of uh, having a lasting and, and effective business strategy, uh, I think that needs to change. And, and obviously, you know, yield and, and financial services aren't going anywhere, but it needs to be advertised more clearly to consumers other than just fine print, because a lot of people thought they were just saving their Bitcoin and getting an interest rate like they do at a bank. But ultimately, the risk-free rate of Bitcoin is 0%. And any other yield on top of that, require some risk premium and then ultimately there's risk being taken. So I guess that's my, like my three main takeaways here. Um, I expect Bitcoin to kind of chop around uh, in kind of an accumulation phase for a while. And if we do see kind of a, a everything correlation to one event, which I suspect is still to come in the legacy market, Bitcoin will see some downside pressure, uh, but really all the historical indicators that I see uh, from capitulation or from miners to, to macro conditions uh, to just, you know, price action and and trends previous to all-time highs. Bitcoin's a deep value here, uh, but that doesn't mean it's going to send it to all-time highs tomorrow. So patience is the name of the game, uh, you know, learn best practices, self-custody, and just understand that, you know, in the end, there is no kind of escaping the perpetual credit expansion of the fiat system.
0: So when you start to look at uh, maybe what the fallout is or, or how the industry will mature over time... Uh, I'm going to throw out two or three ideas. You tell me whether you agree or disagree with each one of them. The first is around disclosures. Do you think that we will see more requirements around disclosures, or it will continue the way that it has been over the next, you know, five years or so from a regulatory standpoint?
1: I think regulation is definitely coming. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a, a, a huge fan of of everything the SEC does. I'm not one that calls for you know, regulation or, you know, people to be, you know, like the SEC to get involved in in every such, you know, little, little project or thing. I'm, I'm more of a kind of a, a libertarian by uh, or, or like, you know, kind of an anarcho-capitalist. But I think there are, were a lot of people that got hurt and didn't understand risks they were taking this cycle in crypto broadly. Um, so regulation is definitely coming. Uh, Gary Gensler is, is, wants to get in and, and kind of regulate all, all these crypto exchanges before a spot ETF is launched, that's very clear. That's also kind of the market overhang here is that GBTC has uh, 650,000 Bitcoin approximately uh, and those GBTC shares are trading at a 30% discount uh, on the kind of the OTC market. So that's a very big overhang for the spot Bitcoin market. Uh, and it's one of those kind of things that probably needs to be cleared before, before next cycle. Um, so regulation is coming, I think disclosures are, are good um, especially in kind of the, the altcoin world. It's, it's very clear to me and, and very clear to regulators that Bitcoin is a commodity. Um, it's, you know, I don't know about uh, all these other uh, altcoins or projects, uh, and I'm not really here to say, uh, but I think, you know, Bitcoin is, is far and away. It's separated itself from the field there. And I think, you know, that, that clarification and that regulatory uh, kind of clarity is, is something that's, that's ultimately a good thing over the, you know, over the course of the next five years
0: next uh topic bitcoin mining will hit a death spiral agree or disagree uh i
1: completely disagree there um anybody that's studied the protocol in depth understands uh the cyclical nature of this market understands that understands the, the difficulty adjustment and understands basic economic incentives um there's a bunch of people in the world that hold bitcoin and have a vested interest uh in, in, in acquiring more as well as you know sending it around, because uh, there is a fee market, there will be a fee market uh, it's not completely robust now, but um, because Bitcoin as an asset is in demand, there will be people that want to pay to transfer it around, and there will be an economic incentive to mine it. Uh, you know what's hash rate in ten years? No one has any idea, but there will be somewhere in the world that has wasted energy with probably a, a marginal uh, cost of zero or negative right you can Sometimes you can get paid to take it off people's hands, and so those ASICs will, will transfer to wherever uh, jurisdiction or location they can find the cheapest energy, the wasted energy, uh, and mine Bitcoin profitably. Um, because some inefficient miners have to unplug and have to sell their holdings, changes absolutely nothing about the fundamentals of the protocol or how it operates, uh, or the you know the genius economic incentive kind of feedback loop that Satoshi engineered. So, uh, yeah, Bitcoin is is <laughs> mining is not going to be in a death spiral and and people that champion that idea are, are a little bit confused, I believe.
0: Grayscale will win their lawsuit against the SEC and GBTC will be converted to an ETF before the end of the year. Agree or disagree? Uh,
1: <laughs> no, no law experience whatsoever here, but I disagree. Um, I think we have a little bit of time ahead of us. Um, you know, wish, wish Barry the best of luck. Uh, you know, wish GBTC holders the best of luck, but uh, it seems like there's, especially with everything that's transpired over the last, you know, uh, two months or so, I think there's there's definitely some more regulatory, uh, more, more regulation coming. Uh, and because of that, uh, any any GBTC uh, ETF conversion will be halted uh, for, you know, whether, whether I think that's a right move or not is another kind of question or story. But uh, yeah, I'm not too optimistic about an ETF in 2023, or I'm sorry, 2022.
0: At the moment, uh, at the moment, Grayscale's GBTC is trading at a 30 plus percent discount to NAV. Uh, Is it a better idea if you want Bitcoin exposure to buy Bitcoin or do you buy GBTC? And not so much from a financial recommendation standpoint, but in terms of how you think through the pros and cons of direct Bitcoin exposure versus maybe a 30, 35 percent discount uh, in the GBTC structure.
1: Yeah, I think for anyone that has has funds um, in in kind of a brokerage account uh, or, you know, not not something like everybody should have a cold storage Bitcoin stack. In my in my opinion, uh, it's you know, there's an ultimate sovereignty to having Bitcoin in your control uh, that no one else can touch uh, that's secured by, by cryptography. But um, I do think that there's some pretty tremendous opportunities uh, that are present with GBTC and it could potentially get even even better right? One thing to understand, and this is kind of just some, some basic math. Uh, and I don't have the exact numbers off the top of my head, but with a 30% discount to net asset value, if that returns a net asset value, and I guess you could subtract a, a 2% annual fee. So, you know, if it takes a year or two years or three years, worst case scenario, uh, you know, you're going to have that fee uh, that you'll pay your, your, kind of the, your Bitcoin that you, that you own in the trust will diminish ever so slightly. But at a 30% discount, uh, if it returns to net asset value, it's like 70 cents going to a hundred um, or to a dollar, you get around like say, uh, you know, ballpark 40% increase uh, to, um, against Bitcoin itself. At around a 40% discount, it would be I think around a 54% uh, increase, right? And so uh, at a 50% discount, it gets, it gets really crazy where you know, you're buying 50 cents and it goes to a dollar. It's like almost like you're, you're getting a huge, huge increase relative to, to Bitcoin itself. And so I think it's an interesting opportunity. I certainly wouldn't go all in on GBTC because I, again, like that from a, from a non-financial perspective. I like, I like owning Bitcoin in cold storage, but you know, at a 30% discount with Bitcoin trading at, at $20,000, you're buying Bitcoin at 14000 right? Imagine if Bitcoin goes even lower, you could buy Bitcoin for 10000 or below. And so for any hedge funds or anyone that's looking to get Bitcoin exposure, it's certainly a, a, a huge value move. And I think it's probably one of the best buys this bear market.
0: When you look forward through the rest of this year, is there anything that people aren't talking about that you're going to be watching for the next six months? We're kind of right at the half year uh, point. What what else are you paying attention to?
1: Yeah, I think um, you know I, I'm still sitting on some cash, uh, waiting to for kind of an ultimate capitulation move If twenty thousand dollars, or you know I think seventeen five is the ultimate macro bottom. Uh, fantastic, uh, but really from what I'm looking at um, from an analysis perspective is whenever the brunt of the spot selling is taking place, and and we can't really know that with certainty, um, but you're going to see kind of whether it's funds redeeming or more miners selling or, you know, whether we see, you know, Celsius uh, have to, you know, file for bankruptcy and liquidate their WBTC or whatever it may be. Um, I think ultimately at the bottom of the market, just like we've seen in every single bear market, whether it's a, you know, huge last leg down or we steadily grind to say 15,000 or 12,000 or whatever it may be, you're going to see the derivative markets which which is pretty significant in size uh you know the collateral uh the open interest of bitcoin futures is like i think off the top of my head 300 or 400,000 bitcoin you're going to see that market get extremely bearish um and and the the bears who have been who have been right the bears uh you know in this derivative market have been right since november of 2021 uh some of them are going to continue to try to try to drive btc into the dirt and you're going to see that reflected in funding rates, uh, and you're going to re- see that reflected in kind of the uh, the, the futures premium or, or or discount. So, say spots at at fifteen thousand, and the futures market is trading at fourteen eight, right? That's just an example, but that's what you see at the the Bitcoin bottoms is that that contango that exists in the bull market turns into a backwardation, and you see futures traders and speculators really try to drag the price of Bitcoin into the dirt. And so that's that's for me a clear signal that. The the brunt of all the spot selling is done, and now you have a bunch of futures traders that are short BTC and need to cover, and that's when you see kind of Bitcoin hit hit a hit an all time bottom, a cycle bottom, and so we're not there yet today, in my opinion. Uh, but that's one of the things that I'll probably be looking for from a from a you know uh, investor and a you know somewhat of a trader's perspective.
0: I love it, man. Where can we send people to find you on the internet or uh, sign up for uh, the newsletter that you guys put out?
1: Yeah uh, you can find me at Dylan LeClaire underscore on Twitter. Uh, we kind of we, we mapped out a lot of the, the craziness that's happened over the last couple months in our contagion report uh, for Bitcoin Magazine Pro. Uh, so you can find that at BitcoinMagazinePro.com. Uh It's a PDF. We put a bunch of work into it. It's pretty beautiful in, in our opinion so check that out uh, and appreciate you guys uh, giving me the platform as always to come here and chat.
0: Listen, you can come whenever you want. If you keep teaching us things, you're you're welcome whenever. <laughs> <laughs> we should be thanking you, now. you thanking us. So, uh, all right, man, you have a great rest of your week and we'll see you again uh, next Tuesday. Cheers, guys. All right, later. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I really hope you guys enjoyed this one. Make sure you're subscribed on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. And if you're looking to try to transition to get a new job in the Bitcoin or crypto industry, we've got you covered. Head over to pompscryptocourse.com We've developed a curriculum with the top teams across the industry. It's a three-week intensive training program with over 50 events packed into that three-week time period. Go to pompscryptocourse.com to learn more, and I'll meet you guys for the next episode.